Hello, my name is Stacey and you're listening to Run With Me On This, a podcast to motivate, educate and distract you. Each episode has two versions. If you're hearing music in the background right now, you've downloaded the music version. This is perfect if you listen to podcasts whilst you're running or exercising. The music will be upbeat and aims to help you keep pace. You can also listen to this version if you want to discover new music from independent artists. All the songs are listed in the show notes. If you're not hearing music, you've downloaded the beat-free version. This is great if you're relaxing, gardening or trying to fall asleep. Both versions are otherwise exactly the same. So now the admin is out of the way, let's get on with the show. This episode is all about cannibalism. If you're a bit squeamish, you may not like the topic, but I promise I'll try not to be too gory. For those who love the blood and guts, don't tell the easily queasied, but I am really going to talk about gross stuff. Where did the word cannibal come from? How do boy spiders stop getting eaten by their lady friends? And in a survival situation, is it okay to eat your fellow man? We're going to answer these questions and so many more about cannibalism in the next half an hour. So if you're ready to sink your teeth in, it's time to run with me on this. I'm often inspired to cover subjects for this podcast by random encounters or thoughts. This episode's topic has its origin born from me sitting at my work desk eating a boiled egg. I wondered what would be the smallest possible egg you could cook and eat. Yeah, it was a slow day at work. I went from ostrich egg to chicken egg and then to quail egg. And because I have limited bird egg knowledge, I had to Google the smallest bird egg in the world, which is, of course, a hummingbird egg. Well, the bee hummingbird, in fact. The eggs are 0.0009 ounces and measure 0.275 inches long or 6.9 millimetres. But even this wasn't small enough for me. I wondered if, and don't be weirded out by this, but I wondered if anyone had ever eaten a human egg. I know they're just a single cell, but in my head, I imagine them big like in the opening titles of the film Look Who's Talking, where the sperms race to get to the egg first. I was already on a Google spiral at this point, so I searched to see if anyone had admitted to eating human eggs. You could kind of boil them up maybe or eat them like caviar. It's not going to surprise you, but I couldn't find anybody that had. But there was an interesting debate about whether eating a human egg would mean you're a cannibal. And so we arrive at today's topic. So let's start with a definition. Cannibalism is the act of consuming another individual of the same species as food. The official term for cannibalism is anthropophagy. The word cannibal comes from the Spanish word cannibalis. And the invention of this word is attributed to Christopher Columbus in 1492. Whilst he was off travelling around the world, he ended up in the Caribbean. This is where he encountered the lovely natives who called themselves Carib, which means brave one. Columbus wanted to enslave the natives, but Queen Isabella said he wasn't allowed. Lots of other explorers were arriving along the Spanish main, which was the Caribbean Sea in the Gulf of Mexico. And the natives were sick of all this invasion. The locals defended themselves and attacked these explorers with poisoned arrows, killing quite a few Spaniards. There was then talk of the Caribs eating their prisoners. Whether this is true or not is debatable, but Columbus then labelled the so-called flesh-eaters Caribe, which got changed to Canibe and eventually cannibal. 
Queen Isabella got wind of this and forbade the eating of other humans. And as such, Columbus et al. had an excuse to enslave the locals. It seemed anyone even looking funny at another human was a cannibal if it gave the Spanish an excuse to conquer the Caribbean. Among modern humans, cannibalism has been practised by various groups. Evidence of flesh-eating has been found in prehistoric Europe, Mesoamerica, South America, Maori in New Zealand, Solomon Islands, parts of West Africa and Central Africa, Polynesia, New Guinea, Sumatra and Fiji. There is also evidence that cannibalism has been practised for hundreds of years by early Homo sapiens and archaic hominins. Human bones, which have been defleshed by other humans, go back 600,000 years. Ritual cannibalism was common in human societies prior to the beginning of the Upper Paleolithic period. In the Lower and Middle Paleolithic period, cannibalism occurred at times of food shortages. Removing dead bodies by eating them would also have been a way of predator control before burial became popular. By getting rid of the dead bodies, you stop, I don't know, saber-toothed tigers coming in and eating you. In Goff's Cave, England, remains of human bones and skulls have been found which were around 14,700 years old, suggesting that cannibalism took place amongst people in that cave. They may have even used human skulls as drinking vessels. I've seen my fair share of human skulls, and believe you me, they have a lot of holes in them and aren't the most efficient mugs you'll ever find. Your tea would leak all over your lap. There are many records of cannibalism through history, though how truthful they are is debatable. The stories are often told to scare others or to demonise certain groups or societies. Greek historian Polybius documented that Carthaginian general Hannibal Barker was to teach his army to adopt cannibalism to stop them getting hungry on their trip to Italy. They didn't do it, you'll be pleased to hear. Their mums probably packed them plenty of sandwiches and they didn't need to resort to eating the privates for dinner. There were reports of cannibalism in the First Crusade, as crusaders fed on the bodies of their dead opponents. There were many attempts to scrub this fact from the history books, as they didn't really want to get that sort of reputation. But, alas, it failed. Else I wouldn't be telling you right now. At times of famine in the early 1300s, there were examples of cannibalism for food in Europe and North Africa. The older, weaker people were cooked up for dinner. Eating humans hasn't always been frowned upon and it hasn't always been done out of necessity when food was scarce. Back in the 12th century, it was being hailed as a cure-all for all sorts of ailments including epilepsy, broken bones, bleeding, vomiting, basically anything and everything. But it was a specific type of human being used for this amazing medicine. People were consuming Egyptian mummies. That's right, mummies. I mean... We've all looked at Tutankhamun and thought, mm, 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 that's a juicy embalmed guy. Gimme, gimme, gimme. Okay, maybe not. But the usage of medicinal bitumen, or mummia, as it was known, dates back to the 12th century and continued until well into the 19th century. The Persians were using bitumen and piss asphalt material to mend wounds and fractures. Bitumen is a kind of glue and a waterproofer. It had been used by the ancient Egyptians for embalming mummies in 1991 to 1802 BCE. Because this asphalt and bitumen were sourced naturally, the supply started to become limited. The Crusaders, yes, them again, wanted more and more of this miracle cure and so went on the search for other sources of the magic stuff. They naturally went looking in the tombs of Egypt. A black gloop 
was seeping from the bodies. And so this was promptly scooped up and mixed with a few herbs before being sold to eager punters as genuine mummia. The stinkier the liquid, the better, and the more people thought it would cure them. When the fluids weren't enough, medicine men of the time started scooping out what they assumed to be bitumen from inside the corpses. They thought inside the belly and the skull was the best stuff. This was really just black, rotten flesh, not bitumen at all. Even this was not enough to meet demand. And in the end, they were just grinding up corpses to get enough mummia. Eventually, they ran out of the genuine mummies. And people started peddling fake mummies, or dummy mummies, if you will. By the 16th century, mummia didn't need to be associated with Egypt at all. The German physicist Oswald Kroll said, Mummia was not the liquid matter found in Egyptian sepulchres, but rather the flesh of a man that perishes a violent death and kept for some time in the air. Criminals were hung and left to dry for a bit before being sold as mummia. By the 18th century, people were starting to question the benefits of consuming dead human flesh, but it was still sold as late as 1924 by the pharmaceutical company Merck & Co. In the animal kingdom, more than 1,500 species have been recorded as displaying cannibalistic behaviour. Animals eat each other for a variety of reasons. The main ones being, one, when other food sources are scarce, two, to regulate population numbers to avoid running out of food, shelter, territory or sexual competition, and three, to provide nutrition to young animals to allow them to grow bigger than their siblings and consequently thrive. However, many species are cannibals without there being any food or reproductive pressures. Approximately 90% of aquatic organisms engage in cannibalistic activity. It's not just meat eaters that eat others in their species either. It also occurs in some herbivores and detritivores. A quick aside, a detritivore gets their nutrition from decomposing plants, animals and faeces. This includes worms, wood lice, slugs and some butterflies. Animals that eat their own species are bigger and stronger than those that do not eat each other. Some species have morals and try to avoid eating members of their own family. The tadpoles of the spadefoot toad spawn into ponds and puddles which have a high risk of drying out. If the tadpoles haven't grown feet by the time their watery home has dried out, then they're goners. After a few days of just eating plankton, they need a little something tastier and their appetites turn towards each other. Thankfully, they recognise their siblings, so won't eat them, but everyone else is fair game. The more they eat, the bigger they get and the quicker they develop. Male sticklebackfish aren't so discerning. They often eat their own eggs, thinking they're the competitor's eggs. But there are so many eggs produced, it doesn't really affect the gene pool. Unfortunately, we'll never know if Bob the stickleback just gobbled down the next fishy Einstein. So why do they go for smaller members of the species and not eat other adults? Cannibalistic animals can be more prone to injury if they start eating other members of the species of the same size. You just end up with, essentially, two drunk guys fighting outside a pub. They're too evenly matched. They get tired fighting and eventually give up, but both of them will be injured. Animals, therefore, target younger, more vulnerable members of the species. This can mean, however, that animals don't get their nutritional needs and may have to wait a long time before any suitable prey is available. What if you've eaten all the little ones? You have to wait for an adult to get a bit ill before you can eat. Oh, Simba's limping. Preheat the oven. 
Male lions and bears can kill young lions and bears, but not purely for food. They kill the offspring of other males so that females are ready for mating sooner. Rather than let that meat go to waste, they will eat the youngsters once they've killed them. Now, male lions and bears are significantly bigger than females of the same species. Mama lion may try to put up a fight to protect her kids, but she knows she is no match for a big guy. However, not all males of the species are bigger than the females. In many species, the females actually eat the males, sometimes because they confuse them for the enemy and sometimes for nutrition after a bit of rumpy-pumpy. This is known, unsurprisingly, as sexual cannibalism. It has evolved by natural selection in many arachnids and insects such as mantids. It may be that a boy spider is just standing in front of a girl spider, asking her to love him. But if that lady spider hasn't eaten in a while, the last thing she wants to do is get preggers and have to bring up hundreds of kids. So, to prevent that, she'll just eat him. If she's content and has had a bit of a meal recently should allow the male to deposit his sperm. The little fella then has to hop out of the way and scarper before the lady spider gets hold of him because if he stops to have a cigarette after and congratulate himself on a job well done, she'll just grab him and yum, 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 boy spider in her tum. The same goes for the praying mantis. That bit of extra nutrition is supposed to give the eggs a better chance to develop healthily. So why are the ladies always eating the guys? Have the males developed ways to defend themselves and stop becoming a mid-morning snack? In reality, the males have to usually wait until the female is distracted by some other meal. The males may present her with a fly or a cricket in a hope that she'll chow down on that so the guy can just swoop in. Some males take an evasive approach, sneaking up behind the female when the wind impairs her ability to hear him. Some males can cause a passive state in females to keep them calm by rubbing the female's abdomen. The less aggressive a female is, the less likely she is to eat the male. However, there are species of male spiders that will sacrifice themselves to ensure their genes are passed on to the next generation. Some spiders, who know they're going to get eaten, have essentially detachable genitals. The female may grab the male mid or post copulation, but he leaves his manhood, better known as a pedipulp, behind to finish inserting the sperm and to act as a genital plug to prevent other males from mating with the female. Certain species of spider leave their pedipulp plugged in and get away without being eaten. Without their genitals weighing them down, the males become faster, stronger and have more endurance. There's a species of orb-weaving spider in which, after copulation, the male leaves his member inside the female and then dies. He doesn't detach himself, He remains hanging out the back of her, all dead and stuff, and acts as a full-body genital plug to prevent other spiders from having their end away. I'm sure it's a great deterrent. Can you imagine if you fancied a girl, but she had the corpse of her ex-boyfriend hanging out her foo-foo? You'd certainly keep a wide berth. Okay, enough about spiders. Let's move on to sharks. The sand tiger shark, to be precise. This shark is about 3.2 metres long or 10.5 feet and lives in the waters around Japan, Australia, the Mediterranean and North and South America. It's actually quite a placid shark with no human fatalities recorded. It does, however, display intrauterine cannibalism or embryophagy. Female sand tiger sharks have two uterine horns, essentially two wombs, 
that may contain as many as 50 embryos, all developing at different rates. When one embryo reaches 10 centimetres or about 4 inches in length, it starts to eat all the other embryos around it. Eventually, there is just one embryo in each uterine horn. The mama shark gestates the baby sharks for 8 to 12 months and then gives birth to one or two fully developed sharks, which are approximately one metre in length. It all sounds like the plot of a horror movie, if I'm honest. Unfortunately, not all animals eat their own species voluntarily. In the 80s and 90s, cattle were being fed ground-up cow meat and bones as food, which led to the prion disease, bovine spongiform encephalopathy, or BSE, better known as mad cow disease. It was thought that millions of affected cows got into the human food chain, and it's thought to have resulted in the human version of the disease, Creutzfeldt-Jakob disease, or CJD. Hundreds of thousands of cows in Britain were slaughtered, and thankfully, the disease is all but eradicated. This podcast isn't really for me to give my opinion, but situations like this just make me think humans are such jerks. A few years ago, there was uproar because there were traces of horse meat in our shop-bought lasagnas. Imagine how that cow feels realising all of its food was other cows. They're meant to eat grass. It's a bit like the film Soylent Green, where, spoiler alert, people find out they're being fed other people. It's a good film and you should check it out, which leads us nicely on to talking about cannibals in pop culture. Cannibalism has been featured in hundreds of books, TV programmes and movies. A number of Greek myths involve cannibalism. King of Mycenae, Artreus, agreed to sacrifice his best lamb to Greek goddess of the wilderness, Artemis. Artreus found a golden lamb and was all, no way I'm giving that to the gods, and gave it to his wife instead. What Artreus didn't know was that his wife was sleeping with his brother, Thyestes. And she gave him the gold lamb, which meant that he was allowed to be king or something. There was a lot of argy-bargy that involved Thyestes taking the throne, Atreus taking it back, Zeus moving the sun backwards through the sky, etc, etc. When Atreus discovered his wife was sleeping with Thyestes, it was the last straw. He killed Thyestes' sons and cooked them leaving the hands and the heads out of the cooking pot. He served Thyestes his own sons for dinner and then taunted him with the hands and the heads. And then there was Cronus, the leader and the youngest of the first generation of Titans. He overthrew his father, Uranus, to become leader. When he found out that one of his own sons would likely, in turn, overthrow and kill him, he decided to eat them as soon as they were born. When the sixth child was born... His name is Zeus. The boy's mother, Rhea, hid Zeus from Cronus by smuggling the child to Crete. She then gave Cronus a stone wrapped up in a cloth, which he promptly ate, thinking it was little baby Zeus. Once he was all grown up, Zeus gave Cronus something to make him sick and he vomited up all of the swallowed gods, including Hades and Poseidon. So don't worry, the kids were fine. Zeus and his vomit siblings then started to kick ass overthrow the titans and take control. And if some of you are like Roman god enthusiasts and think the story sounds a bit familiar, that's because the Roman equivalent to Cronus is the god Saturn. The story, however, is the same. Neither of them are going to be winning father of the year. Cannibals are prolific throughout folklore and fairy tales. 
The Wendigo is a mythological man-eating creature from the folklore of the Algonquian tribes. The Algonquian tribes are in the northern forests of Nova Scotia on the east coast of Canada. The Wendigo is believed to be a spirit which has inhabited or possessed a human. There are lots of different versions of this story. Its influence is said to invoke acts of murder, insatiable greed and cannibalism. Basil H. Johnson, an Objiwe teacher and scholar from Ontario, gives a description of a Wendigo. The Wendigo was gaunt to the point of emaciation. Its desiccated skin pulled tightly over its bones. With its bones pushing out against its skin, its complexion the ash grey of death and its eyes pushed back deep into their sockets, the Wendigo looked like a gaunt skeleton recently disinterred from the grave. What lips it had were tattered and bloody, unclean and suffering from suppuration of the flesh. The Wendigo gave off a strange and eerie odour of decay and decomposition, of death and corruption. The Wendigo is seen as an embodiment of gluttony, greed and excess, never satisfied after killing and consuming one person. They are constantly searching for new victims. In some traditions... Humans overpowered by greed could turn into Wendigos. The myth thus served as a method of encouraging cooperation and moderation. Other sources say Wendigos were created when a human resorted to cannibalism to survive. The creature lends its name to the medical term Wendigo psychosis, which is a syndrome with symptoms such as intense craving for human flesh and a fear of becoming a cannibal. One of the most famous cases of Wendigo psychosis is that of Swift Runner, a Plains Cree trapper from Alberta. During the winter of 1878, Swift Runner and his family were starving. They were just 25 miles away from food supplies when Swift Runner butchered and ate his wife and five children. It was a mystery as to why he would kill and eat the entire family when they could have made it to the food supplies and why he felt the need to kill them all when maybe just one child would sustain them. It was therefore believed the Wendigo had overtaken him causing Wendigo psychosis. In the end, it was found he was just a straightforward murderer and he was sentenced and executed for his crimes. Creatures based on Wendigos appear all over popular culture. TV series such as Teen Wolf, Supernatural, Blood Ties, Charmed, Grimm and Hannibal all feature the Wendigo or similar creatures. Even the 80s cartoon DuckTales had a Christmas special featuring a Wendigo. Because it's a kid's show, the Wendigo wasn't shown as a flesh-eating murderer, but as a poor soul turned into a monster by obsession and desperation. I don't know about you, but as many times as I've heard the fairy tale Hansel and Gretel, I've never thought about the fact that the witch is a cannibal. She's going to eat those kids, and the stepmother in Snow White eats what she thinks is Snow White's heart. Sure, it's not but she thinks it is. She's quite happy to eat human flesh. There is cannibalism in Shakespeare's Titus Andronicus, where someone is killed and baked into a pie. Baking people into pies is a storyline in the musical Sweeney Todd, The Demon Barber of Fleet Street. I grew up listening to a recording of that musical with Angela Lansbury as Mrs Lovett. It was on cassette tape. Well, on four cassette tapes, actually. My sisters and I would happily sing along to the songs, unwittingly glorifying cannibalism. 
Some of the most popular films and books about the cannibal is those featuring Hannibal Lecter. The novels Red Dragon, Silence of the Lambs and Hannibal, as well as the subsequent movies based on those books, are hugely popular. In 2003, Hannibal Lecter, as portrayed by Anthony Hopkins, was chosen by the American Film Institute as the greatest villain in American cinema. Hannibal Lecter is a fictional character, but it is thought to be based on real-life serial killers Dr Alfredo Barley Trevino and Albert Fish, also known as the Brooklyn Vampire. There are plenty of true crime podcasts out there which go in-depth into real-life serial killers. I did read briefly about cannibal serial killers like Jeffrey Dahmer, but I just don't have the stomach to read the details out loud. You can go and look them up yourself if you feel so inclined. The act of eating human flesh isn't actually illegal. If you kill someone to eat them, however, there's where you're breaking the law. This is the problem faced by people forced to eat others to survive. Survival cannibalism occurs when people are stranded, shipwrecked, isolated or starving. When people in the group start dying, there is the tough decision to be made as to whether the rest of the group are going to eat the body to survive. What would you do? Apparently, human flesh tastes like veal and not necessarily like pork as most people think. Although, humans that have been prepared for eating are known as long pigs. The trouble is, if you only eat human meat, you're at risk of developing malnutrition and scurvy. So, make sure you're adding fresh vegetables to your human stew. But of course, if you've got vegetables, why are you eating humans? Anyway, so long as the person is already dead, you can eat them. This law was taken advantage of by the New York Times reporter William Bueller Seabrook, who, in the 1930s, apparently in the interest of research, ate a chunk of human meat from someone who died in an accident. He'd got it from some intern at the local hospital. Don't worry, he cooked it first, and he is the one that confirmed that it tastes like veal. In 1988, Rick Gibson ate the flesh of another person in public. He ate a canapé of donated human tonsils in London. A year later, he ate a slice of human testicle, again in London. He was able to get away with this because England has no law against eating human flesh. However, when he tried his little stunt of eating a bit of testicle in Vancouver, the police stopped him and took away his nut snack. No charges were held against him and so he was back in Vancouver eating testicles just a few months later. Sticking with the genitalia area, we move on to the German Armin Mivis, who achieved worldwide fame for killing and eating a voluntary victim he met on the internet. Mivis posted on the forum The Cannibal Café that he was looking for a well-built 18 to 30 year old to be slaughtered and then consumed. A few people came forward but backed out when they realised he was actually serious. Bernd Jürgen Armando Brandes from Berlin finally agreed to take part. They recorded a video where Brandes says he's doing this all voluntarily. It shows him swallowing 20 sleeping pills and some cough syrup and then Mivers chopped his penis off. He did try to bite it off to begin with, but it just wouldn't come off. So he got a knife. 
The two then try to eat it raw. But like most German sausage, you really need to cook it. So Maivez cooks the penis up with some salt and pepper, garlic, bit of wine. But the idiot burns the penis. And this is so disrespectful. He feeds the burnt penis to his dog. Poor Brandis had lost so much blood, he was too weak to even nibble his own willy. Maivez then put Brandes in a bath so that he could bleed to death, whilst Maivez then went and read a Star Trek book. In the end, Maivez couldn't wait for Brandes to die and stabbed him in the throat. He then hung him up on a meat hook to dry out for a bit and Maivez dismembered the body. And then over the next 10 months, he ate 20 kilograms of flesh. That's about 44 pounds. He just had it in the freezer and kind of picked at it when he wanted it. So, how was Maivez caught? Well, absolute muppet. He only went and advertised for a new victim, saying, I've done it before. I know what I'm doing. He got reported. The police come round, found body parts in his freezer and arrest him. He was initially convicted of manslaughter because it was kind of seen as a, a misadventure from sexual exploits. However... A year later, there was a retrial and he was charged with murder. Maivez apparently regrets what he did. When asked what advice he would give to other cannibals, he said, get help. I don't think he meant get help in chopping up the body. I think he meant psychiatric help. Oh, you'll be pleased to hear he's now a vegetarian. So could you eat human flesh? Could you be like Brandes and have a little nibble on your own bits? Placentophagy, or consuming the placenta, or afterbirth, is a form of autocannibalism. Many animals do this out of necessity. They need to clean up the area after they've given birth and get a bit of extra protein to help them look after their offspring. Humans have no place frying up a placenta and eating it for dinner. But if you do fancy eating the placenta, there are lots of websites with recipes on how to prepare the little treat. Try a placenta smoothie by blending it with strawberries or a placenta lasagna or chilli. Maybe you want to blend it up with some chocolate and make truffles. Mm, hand them round to your friends. Come to my placenta party. Oh, it's making my mouth water and not for good reasons. So, long pigs, that's your fill for this episode. Cannibalism is such a huge, fascinating, gory topic. I haven't even scraped the surface. So if there's anything that you found interesting, I'll put all of my references in the show notes. Thanks for listening, whether you're running, cycling or doing the washing up. You can follow the show on Twitter at RunWithMePod and Instagram at RunWithMeOnThis. Look out next week for the Jog On episode in your podcast feed. This will be a mini episode where I give feedback from listeners and talk about your running achievements. Bye bye for now and remember, what I say may not always make sense but... Hey, run with me on this.